Welcome to another episode of the Sola Gratia podcast. I'm David Prairie, and with me, per usual, is my good friend Aaron Arnold. And uh, this is two days before Christmas. Ho, ho, ho. 2019. And we are once again in my office here at, uh, at Grace Baptist Church in Chattanooga. And we're going to kind of start a, a series of conversations today and just do part one of a, of a series having to do with some things that Aaron and I have read together recently, and all of them works of fiction. Yep. So I've uh, really never been one to read a lot of fiction, but Aaron has persuaded me otherwise. So I'm I try. A, I'm a convert. <laughs> um, and uh, so we've read a, a fair amount of fiction over the last year, and I think want to want to continue to do that. And uh, so we're going to highlight some different books and series that we've read over the past year, and we're going to start today by talking about the J.R.R. Tolkien classic, The Lord of the Rings. Yes. And uh, Aaron has authored a, a series of questions for us, and uh, so I'm going to let him turn it over to him to kind of tell us the direction we're going to go with this today. All right. Well, we're going to cover a variety, I guess, of of questions and topics, and some are pretty personal, and others are having to do with the story in general. Let's not get too personal. Yeah, not too personal. I guess not, but... We're not going to be, like, sharing our feelings. Not that kind of personal, right? Right. Okay. Well, you know, feelings about the story and, like, you know, those yeah. kinds of things. We can do that. Because, like, the first question I have is, what does the Lord of the Rings mean to you? Like, what's your personal history with it? You know, because there's something, like, for me, it's really special. Mm-hmm. So I, like, have a story behind it. Maybe you don't. But what uh, what brought you to read The Lord <coughs> of the Rings? Yeah, well... Um, so interestingly enough, mine was sort of a, I guess maybe a relationship by accident, Mm -hmm. a serendipitous type relationship, sort of, in that, um, I really was not even aware of the story of the Lord of the Rings until the movies hit the big screen. Yeah. And so that would have been, 2001 was the release of The Fellowship of the Ring. Yeah. And... I was at that time a junior in high school, and I think initially, I guess I remember probably seeing some of the build-up for it, but not really understanding why this was such a big deal, and I really didn't even, it wasn't the kind of thing that I intended to go see in the theater, so I remember just renting it Mm -hmm. on DVD, I guess, and uh, just watched it at home one weekend. And I just was mesmerized. I was enthralled. I thought the whole thing was just fascinating. And I thought even the, um, really from really from start to finish, but I guess just the more it built, I just, I you know, and there's these added layers of, of obviously characters, but also mm-hmm. just uh, themes in the story. And I just never had been, I think, gripped by a story, uh, by a movie, uh, that way before. And so that was, I think just from then on, I really became very interested in, okay, what is this all about? Obviously not having any sort of familiarity with it. Yeah. The first movie ends 
<laughs> well, the first two movies end really on cliffhangers because there's more because <laughs> there's more to come. And so I just remember the thing ending, and then thinking, oh man, I can't wait for these for the rest of these movies to come out. Yeah. And so that was that. It really was kind of um, I guess love at first sight in yeah. that sense. At least when I first watched it and became aware of of what it was all about. And then of course, as with anything literary, the more familiar you become with it, when there is depth to it. Like there is with these stories, yeah. Um, the more you you grow to appreciate and to enjoy it, so so in that sense, to ask what it means to me, I think that's kind of where it starts. And but the meaning of it and the personal significance of it to me, although it was immediately impactful, I think that impact has continued and probably deepened over the last almost twenty years now. Yeah, man, that's it. That's crazy to think is. That long ago, yeah, almost. Um, like you, I did not know a thing about this mm. until the movies came out. Uh, except for the fact, I think I had uh, I had heard about The Hobbit. Because okay. there was a cartoon. Actually, there's a cartoon of all these stories. That's right. Uh, but The I've Hobbit... I've never seen any of them. Actually, I tell you what it was. There's this old computer game named Hugo... Okay. And you sneak you you're this guy who has to get into a haunted house and save his girlfriend who's babysitting for these monsters. And you type in the commands and you say, you know, um, you have to smash the pumpkin, uh, take the key. You have to type in everything. If you don't do it right, then the monsters eat you. Anyways, at the end of the game, and this drove me crazy because I was not a reader at all. Growing well, okay. I was a reader. I've always been a reader, I guess, uh-huh. but then I just forgot about it. I got distracted anyways. Yeah. Refer back to our episode on the importance of reading. Yeah. If you want to know the history of all that. That's right. And so, so at the end of this game, you, you're asked these series of questions, and one of them is, who is the hero of The Hobbit? I couldn't answer it, hmm. so I could never beat the game. And then I finally figured out, because this is like back before Google. Couldn't Google your answers. Yeah. The Dark Ages. Um, so, so anyways, so I knew the name of The Hobbit. Then I knew about the movie. And then there was the Lord of the Rings movie. Yeah. And Leonard Nimoy sang a song in the Hobbit movie. And I knew that song. So I knew some things about the world, but not a lot. And I guess I saw it. I didn't see it in theaters because I didn't go to theaters back then. That was, that was forbidden. Yeah. Scandalous. I know. In fact, The Two Towers, I think, was the second movie I saw in theaters. So the first movie was The Phantom Menace. Okay. And then... (laughs) Yep. And then uh, I saw The Two Towers. Okay. And again, I'm lost in this whole place. I have no idea what's happening. And I went to The Two Towers with a group of homeschoolers who knew everything and they knew all the deep lore and they're talking. Wow. I mean, it's crazy. Yeah. I love the opening of the two towers though. Cause you think Gandalf's done. Yeah. And this is full of spoilers. So if you haven't read it or seen the movies, you know, you're going to get, on yeah. You. First of all, shame on you. Second of all, we're going to be going all out. So pause it right here. And then go watch the movies, yeah. and then come back and listen to the rest of it. That's right. And if you don't own the movies, again, shame. If you don't own the books, shame. Shame, shame, shame. And it's almost Christmas time. 
They usually play it on TNT, so you can probably see it. Probably. Also, just buy it for yourself for Christmas. <laughs> so anyways, um, but yeah, so they knew everything, and it was crazy. The third movie, I actually went opening night, so okay. I was full-blown going to movie Heathens now. That that and I was with I was with members who I, I was with some of my friends and they were dressed up like hobbits and we saw Gollum and oh, it was just crazy and this was back in the time that uh, still the dark ages of you know no smartphones no smartphones but also um, midnight premieres like oh, no yeah. seven yeah. no seven p.m. Yeah. on Thursday premieres no midnight. You're going in. You're going to fight for your seat. You got to get in line and wait in line. Yep. And so there was. So anyways, all that to say, a lot of history with it. I vent, years later, I decided to read them. It was too hard for me, so I had to learn to read fiction. Yeah. And then I got into them, and I love these copies that I have before me. I've got three of them because the smell of the books yeah. is old. And it just takes me back to that time that I was first reading it, and it's so good. It's interesting you use that phrase, you had to learn to read fiction, because mm-hmm. that's kind of what I've had to do over yeah. the last few years, is is it's not uh, it's not a natural, it you know, everybody, I mean, even children can read stories and appreciate yeah. them, but uh, with... With stories that have some depth in it, like these do, there is there is a sense in which you have to learn to read, read things like this. Yeah. Now I'll I'll, I'll add to my story just that um, uh, uh, I don't think I ever went opening night. In fact, I know I didn't. But I would say, um, you know, within a week or so of the release of the both the Two Towers and the Return of the King, I was in the theaters for those. Yeah. Um, I. I I probably I feel like I probably saw both of them in theaters multiple times. Yeah. And 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 like when it came out, I wasn't immediately like, oh, I got to see this, you yeah. know, but and I wasn't even a a huge fan until I don't know, 7 or 8 years ago when I read through them. Okay. On my own and really really got into it cuz that's when I was reading a lot of CS Lewis and okay. Tolkien and Anyways, so... How many times have you read through the books? Oh, man. Probably about five or six at least. Wow. Because then after that year, then the next year, I think I read it again. Okay. And then I kept trying... I, I did that several times, but then I'd have to take a year off and... Yeah. But then then I listened to the song by Led Zeppelin, Ramble On, and, I, and it, <laughs> it's such a good song... It makes me want to read through the whole trilogy again. You mentioned that to me, I guess, last week, and <laughs> that's just another another level of having my mind blown that I didn't even know was there. So yeah, it's crazy, but but yeah, as soon as uh, as soon as fall comes along, then I get this like, oh man, it's time to read. Yeah, it's time to read Tolkien. Yeah, but anyways, so yeah, so now I now I'm full blown and read all kinds of manuscript. You know the. Silmarillion and yeah, even the Lost Tales, which are like versions of the Silmarillion, and I haven't gotten to the part where there's versions of the Lord of the Rings because there's that too, but that's a bit much. Well, because even with these stories, there's so much of a back history, yeah, a backdrop of mythology and yeah, 
and and history that's uh it's just really remarkable the guy was obviously a genius yeah uh, a literary genius and just a a language genius and a history genius and so um and the lord of the rings and the hobbit are like the only the only ones of those kinds of books that he read like narrative mm-hmm. um I don't know story stories because the Silmarillion's like a, a fake history book, yeah, or a mythology book, and then then he has some short stories. But as far as like big novels, he only wrote the Lord of the Rings, yeah, and the Hobbit. And so it's, you know, here's this guy who just wants to create a world where he can, you know, use his languages, his sixteen languages or whatever, and <laughs> he comes, he cranks this out. It's like what in the world, so. Yeah, there it is. So, uh, obviously, we really enjoy the story, but what makes it such a good story? Why why do they make movies? Why is it still kind of a phenomenon? Why do people still read it? You know, why, why is it on the Great American Reads, all those kinds of things? I think it is. I think it's, I think it's one of the top 100 novels. Hmm. Why, why is that so? What makes it so special? Well, I'm sure there's not one answer. I'm sure that in some ways it would it would vary from person to person. Uh, just like the question of what does it mean to you, mm-hmm. I so so my perspective is what makes it a good story is is I think the fact that it does have the backdrop that it has. It feels so much like real life. Yeah. You know, it's almost it's almost believable. Yeah. When you put it in its setting and you and you um compare the uh the histories that are, you know, that were written with the story taking place in those histories. Um I think that it's it's such an all-encompassing kind of story. In other words, um, I mean, it truly is in every sense of the word. It is an epic. Yeah. You know, it's it. You're dealing not just with the personal lives of these characters and all that they're, all their struggles and all their triumphs, but also you're dealing with global um, themes mm-hmm. and. Uh, you know, so I think it's I think uh I think there's just a lot of those elements that that go into any sort of epic. Uh there's all those relatable facets. You see the camaraderie of the of the good guys, which is you know, enviable, but also um you know, also just the way that the the way that what they do on a smaller scale affects the larger scale. Yeah. So I, I, you know, that's a tough one to answer. Um, there's so many things that make it such a good story. Even even just the way it's written. I mean, the writing is just so rich. Yeah. Um, you know, when you're when you're reading for pages on end about them just trudging through the woods, and and you're <laughs> just, and none of it is, I think, boring. Yeah. Or, I mean, it's just the description is so is so rich and so vibrant and. Uh, so all of those factors. I mean, it wouldn't. It's hard to spot weaknesses. Yeah. If you're even going to be critical of it, I I think that it would be difficult even to um, 
to to rip uh, the way it's written, and then also the scope of of the way that it's written. So, all of those things combined to make it a great story. Yeah, I I definitely think one of the one of the things I think that makes it so good is the is the way that you see the char- the good guys interact with each other. Yeah, you know, and you you see the the friendship, especially of Legolas and Gimli really evolve over time to where, you know, here's this dwarf and here's this elf and they both like they don't really like each other at first because of the the bad blood between the races. Yeah. And then, you know, they eventually they get into the, you know, the they're they're fighting together, uh they're saving each other's lives. And then it it, it gets to the point to where uh, Gimli and Legolas are inseparable from each other. Yeah, they and he takes them over the over the sea to you know, um, to the Elven home to Valinor, and he's like the only dwarf to ever have gone there. You know, I love that. I love the relationship between Frodo and Sam. Sam especially, like I just love that character. Um, but you, the characters are just. They're phenomenal. You know, Gandalf provides the wisdom. Yeah. Uh, Aragorn, well, I'll talk about him in, in, in a minute. Mm-hmm. But you, it's just all the characters are, are so good. Um, and, and the, the, again, like you said, it is, it, is, um, it is believable. Like you almost feel like this, is, this happened in some like distant place, mm-hmm. you know, years and year, thousands and thousands of years ago. And that's that's what Tolkien was going for, um, you know. I I personally, it's difficult for like the stories, the stories difficult for me up until Strider appears, hmm. up until Aragorn appears, hmm. and if you look in here, there's not much underlining, uh, and anyways, but then he appears, and I think things start to really happen, and yeah, um, but I I think. Another thing that makes it such a good story is you have definite good mm-hmm. and definite evil. Yeah. Um, and some people get all mad about stories that portray, you know, black and white morality, but I think it's so important because yeah. so many day so many stories these days, you know, I, I think it's it's a product of postmodernism is there's just so much blending, you know. I mean Batman versus Superman. Yeah. You know, Batman's almost a bad guy. Even in Civil War, you know, who's the good guy in that movie? Well, yeah. you want to say Captain America, but he's going against the government. Yeah. So, is he a really good guy? Well, some people side with him, so that makes Iron Man the bad guy, and the good guys can't get along. You know, whereas... So, it's kind of blended. Yeah. You know, the Hunger Games, Katniss, is she a good guy? Uh, maybe, but, you know, then she's with a bunch of... There's a bunch of teenagers killing each other. Yeah. Not a great Rebell- story. Rebelling against the authorities. And then that, there's that, but the authority's yeah. not that great. Right. You know, so does, does bad authority breed bad people, you know? I mean, they, they, it's... But in this story, in The Lord of the Rings, you know who's good, and you know who's bad, and as a person, as a human, who, you know... You know, we, we, we're sinful beings and can be swayed to the bad very easily. Yeah. You know, 
without without God and His grace, um, you know, the bad can be attractive. But Tolkien's like, no. I mean, when you're with the hobbits and Mordor, you do not want to stay there. The air is poison. You don't yeah. know if you can get a drink. Yeah. I mean, it is awful. Yeah. And that's what I like about this story is, okay, this is the good. This is the bad. I want to stay away from the bad. And yeah. there's not, not too many mixing up. Now, there's some characters, obviously, who are caught in the midst of their, their different, you know, like Gollum, you know. Right. But for the most part, you see orcs, you want to stay away from them. <laughs> yeah. You know, you see the elves, you want to hang out with them. But, you know, you can't because you've got a job to do. you got to get that ring mm-hmm. to Mount Doom. Um, so, yeah, that, that's, that's one of the reasons... I think it makes it such a good story is the the definite goodness and the definite badness. Yeah, there's a contrast that's there for sure. So, I said I was going to talk about Aragorn in a little while. Here it is. Who's your favorite character? Who is your favorite character? Do you have multiple? Are they all equally there? Because for me, it's hard. It is hard. Um, again, I think you could take favorite different ways. You know, favorite could mean most entertaining. Yeah. Favorite could mean most relatable, could mean most heroic. Um, you know, favorite, um, yeah, you know, that's tricky. I, I, I think probably... If I was going to go with a combo, I think I'd go with the Frodo and Sam combo and maybe just I'd have to say one of those two and I Yeah. Because um I think in I think in a lot of ways you can I think Frodo's pretty relatable. He's sort of this um reluctant um I guess you I guess hero is an okay word to use, but he's he's the one tasked with this challenge mm-hmm. and he didn't he didn't really sign up for it. He yeah. it was sort of it was sort of dropped in his lap. He sort of uh you could say inherited inherited the task really that probably maybe rightly initially belonged to Bilbo. Yeah. And um and he just happens to be the one to inherit it. And then and then you can also see uh a lot of the internal struggles with the task. Yeah. You know, where he's Throughout a lot of the story, he is just bound and determined. He's gonna he's gonna finish the task. He's gonna do the right thing, but at the same time, he is drawn to the ring. Yeah, and and the the ring is uh, is working its will, which that's that's another element where the ring has a has a will of its own. <laughs> um, you know, which is remarkable in some ways, and so. So I think I think that Frodo is um you know he's not I think you know and I think you're going to talk about Aragorn you know Frodo's not the king Frodo's not the right the um champion necessarily in fact even the way that he wins in the end is um is really not due to his heroism yeah you know it's it's um and, and and you know I I talked about Sam too. I don't I don't think Frodo wins without Sam. Right, exactly. Um so there's they need one another. They're obviously different characters. They play well together. 
play well off of each other. But you can't have one without the other. Sam couldn't do what Frodo was called to do, I don't think. Right. Um, but I don't know that Frodo could have done what Sam was called to do either. They need, right. they needed each other. Yeah. One had to be the ring bearer, and the other one had to be the the companion. The ring bearer bearer. There you are. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So I, I think that that combo... And then, of course, you know, their friendship is, is quite significant, and you see that in a lot of different ways, but... Right. Um, and that's an important... That's an important aspect to Tolkien is that that like master servant relationship mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but also the friendship. Yeah. You know, it's not it's not some kind of perverted relationship. Right. Um that people might want to read into it. Yeah. Uh in these times. Now this was like an you know, an ancient kind of friendship that like King Arthur and his knights. Yeah. Shared with each other, yeah, and and it's so good to see that and almost it, almost like David and Jonathan, yeah, exactly, exactly like that. Now, you you know you talk about characters. Um, I want you almost could make the case. I think that Frodo and Sam even wouldn't have been successful without Gollum. Oh, absolutely not. So I don't know that I don't know that I'd put Gollum in there with favorite characters, but he's so. In a lot of ways, Gollum is relatable. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, and so he's, um, you know, he's not enviable. Like, no. I wouldn't want to be in his position. No. But you can see, um, you can see Frodo's and, um, and even Bilbo's, if you go back to The Hobbit, you can see their sympathy towards Gollum. Yeah. Um, again, not that they envy him, but that they pity him. Yeah. And, you know, Gandalf, of course, has some great lines about that as well. Right. And um, so, yeah, that that whole maybe triangle, I guess, of Frodo, Sam, and Gollum is just pretty fascinating. I think yeah. it's, I think for that reason, those those two, but then I would throw Gollum in there, too, as a uh, as a third wheel of, of favorite characters. Yeah, I, I, I might we might come back to discuss Gollum a little more. Because he definitely plays a very important role. Yeah. And and I think there's some good... There's a lot of good things you can study from a Christian perspective. Yeah. Based on Gollum's character. But I do... I think if I... I think Aragorn's probably my favorite character. Yeah. Um, because he handles him... He, he's... He knows... He knows who he is. First of all, this is the book Aragorn, not yeah. the movie Aragorn, because yeah. they're fairly different characters. The The book Aragorn, I think, uh, kind of embodies a man who knows who's, who he is and, you know, has his timing right. You know, he doesn't flash around, look, I'm the king and this yeah. is the broken sword and I've come to take my throne. In fact, you know, when he gets to... Minas Tirith, you know, they're like, the king's come, and then he's gone. Hmm. And they're like, well, this is weird. But he's in there, you know, healing people. Yeah. And, and. Oh, it's, <laughs> it's so good. And it's the, it's the, it's the crackpot, you know, crazy lady lore master who's like, oh, this can solve her problems, you know. And so don't throw your old books away. You need to read. Uh, it gives you wisdom. Um, but Aragorn, I just, 
I love the way he handles himself. Uh, again, just the way that he's he's not bossy. Yeah. But he's a leader. Yeah. And people get behind him because he knows who he is. I I, I do think that Aragorn, probably from a, a, a man's perspective, is like, okay, obviously the 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 man you should as a man you should look up to Jesus and be like I need to be like Jesus. Right. But after Jesus, there's Aragorn. <laughs> I hope that's not blasphemy, but um, well, but as a as a fictional character, he just shows this is this is what it means to be a man. I think. Yeah, and we've talked about that before, just in, in personal conversations about, uh, and and you you touched on it here, but his wisdom, yeah, his um, respectability, yeah, his bravery, yeah, you know, there's just. There's and you could go on and on, but all those things, um, his compassion, yeah, um, and I mean he's always helping. You know he's always fighting for the good, yeah, and all these different and uh, all these different um, roles, yeah. You know he's Strider, but he's also someone who's ridden with the Rohirrim at some point, yeah. You know he he's he's been all over the place. He's he's a leader. He's a, but he does so without having to demand that people look to him because people naturally look to him. Right. You know, he's, um, I guess the way you'd say it, he's, he's authoritative without being authoritarian. Right. That's a good way to put it. But I also love Gandalf. Like Gandalf, yeah. he's, yeah, he's just chock full of wisdom. Yeah. And you just, you just have to love, you know, all the thing, all the kinds of things that he says and. Um, you know, he, I, he's almost like an old, he's almost like a grandpa, right? Where he's, but he, but he's a fighter too. Oh yeah. You know? Uh, yeah. so he's not just a passive, let me just tell you how it was in the good old days. Right. But he uses that experience one to, to teach through his words, but also he's, you know, he's a, he's a fighter. You know, he gets there in the midst of battle with people. Yeah. And, you know, he, he has the, you know, his job is to kind of get people, you know, ignite their hearts. And he's able to do that with uh, the elven ring that he has. Yeah. Or, you know, that was his task in the beginning. He can't use it once the one ring's found or whatever. Yeah. Um, but but I, I do think that's a really, really cool trait for him. But I do think that all the characters really have their place. Legolas. Right. As a as a standalone character, not my favorite, because um, he just there's not a whole lot of personality there. But that's just how the elves are, I think. Yeah, and 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 really, you uh, you probably could make a a case that every character needs needs another to fulfill. Like yeah. Merry and Pippin need each other. Oh yeah. By themselves, they're really not right. all that significant. Legolas needs Gimli. Yeah. Um. You know, Aragorn. I guess maybe maybe on his own, he's sort of the right. You know, he's he's the glue. You'd yeah. say right. He holds everybody together. Frodo needs Sam. We talked about that. But you know, Aragorn's doing the whole thing so he can marry Arwen. Right. You know, like, and again, that's just he knows his place. Yeah. He doesn't, you know, run off with her and the, you know, get married and shotgun wedding or whatever. Yeah. Uh, no, he 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 respects. He doesn't abdicate his duties, right? Just just to get what he wants, right? Yeah, it's very important. He's a very important character to study. That's why he's probably 
my favorite. So, uh, what are some of your favorite moments in the stories? The one that immediately comes to mind, and I and I bookmarked it here because I was gonna I'm gonna read from it. I, there's again, I could pick from a lot, <laughs> but I think the reappearance of uh, of Gandalf. Oh yes, <laughs> you know he. Um, you know, you've got Aragorn and Legolas and Gimli, and they're tracking down who they think is Saruman. Yeah. And uh, and so they they get ready to attack, and it it reads like this: the old man was too quick for him. He sprang to his feet and leaped to the top of a large rock. There he stood, grown suddenly tall, towering above them. His hood and gray rags were flung away. His white garments shone. He lifted up his staff, and Gimli's axe leaped from his grasp and fell <laughs> ringing on the ground. The sword of Aragorn, stiff in his motionless hand, blazed with a sudden fire. Legolas gave a great shout and shot an arrow high into the air. It vanished in a flame, uh, in a flash of flame. And then, uh, and then Legolas cries out, Mithrandir, Mithrandir, um, another name for Gandalf. The old man says, well met, I say to you again, Legolas. And then they all gazed at him. His hair was white as snow in the sunshine, and gleaming white was his robe. The eyes under his deep brows were bright, piercing as the rays of the sun. Power was in his hand. Between wonder, joy, and fear, they stood and found no words to say. Uh, and then at last Aragorn stirred. Gandalf, beyond all hope, you return to us in our need. What veil was over my sight, Gandalf? Gimli said nothing, but sank to his knees, shading his eyes. Um, and then, and then, you know, Gandalf uh, repeats his own name and says, "Yes, that was my name. I was Gandalf." You know, like he's, and it says as if recalling from old memory a long disused word. I, there's so much in that uh, that even the description of Gandalf himself is is so, I think, packed with of uh, what you would read in Scripture, you know, in Daniel and in Revelation about an, a Christ-like appearance. And then the response of the people, they're speechless. Yeah. They almost can't do anything except say his name and then Gimli kneeling, and they're just, again, those mix of emotions, the hope and the joy mixed with fear. I just think that though, that those couple of paragraphs there are as are as good as it gets in the story. I just you love that moment because um it's it's again it's and there's and there's other moments in the story like this, but things are seeming seemingly hopeless. Yeah. And here they're about to get worse and then all of a sudden the one that they have missed the most along the way is back to uh to give them aid and to to show that he has has not been overtaken by death after all. It's yeah. just it's just really quite remarkable. I think, and I'll I'll start with this because I can't I can't find the exact, <coughs> um, the exact quote in the books. But one of my, I I know that I, the two moments that move me the most, and this is this is from the movie standpoint. I mean, okay. there there are parts in the books. Yes, but, yes. But just seeing them, especially on the big screen is when the gates of Mordor open and there's the eye confronting 
who he thinks has the ring, Aragorn, and you're huh. just like, all right, good and evil right here, and you're just like, how are they going to get out of this? Yeah. And then, I mean, when the Dark Tower falls, yeah, you're just like, you know, it, it, it's such a moving scene because you're like, you know what? One day evil's going to be defeated. That's right. Um, what the the moments? Some of the moments I love in the book is when um, when uh, Sam looks up and he sees the the star, and it talks about how you know it, it pierces his heart, and he sees that there's things that can't be sullied by evil, and and it gives him a, like a renewed hope. It's a very good scene. Uh, I really like that. And I, I love the I love the scene uh between like when when Eowyn finally like is like, okay, Faramir, you're you're a pretty good guy. You know, I just love that whole that whole story between the two of them. I think that's that's one of my other favorite moments. Um and there there's so there's so many good ones. Yeah. But uh but those are those are some of my favorite parts. And and you know, and then I think this takes about like reading it two or three times. I love the whole Council of Elrond. Yeah. Like the first read through with no interest in the backstory, you're like Oh my goodness, come on, get on with this thing. But then when you read when you when you read it and you get interested in, in the backstory and okay, how do we get to this point? That's just full of of great stuff. And then the story really, really takes off. I love that. Those are some of my my favorite moments. You look like you're looking for something. Well, I just I'm 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 looking at um my copy of The Return of the King. Um the one there's one chapter uh right after the scene at Mount Doom, you know, where where the uh the fall of the tower as you were talking about is described. Yeah. You know, Sam and Frodo think that they're at the end and then all of a sudden Sam wakes up. Um and he you know, he says, and he see, you know, he sees Gandalf, and it's, you know, I thought you were dead, and he says, but then I thought I was dead myself. Uh, is everything sad going to come untrue? Yeah. And uh, and then you know, Gandalf's description of of what all has happened, and even the question of what day is it? You know, uh, it's it it must be nearly noon. Noon of what day? The fourteenth of the new year. Okay, well, what does that have to do with anything? Well, you'd have to you'd have to understand that from from scripture in the Old Testament. You know, that's the um, that's the uh, uh, day of Passover. Yeah, you know, that's the day of the of uh, and of course it was Passover weekend. You know, being the the weekend of Jesus's death yeah right. so it's it's all this um it's it's almost a veiled i think it is a veiled reference you know to to tolkien saying you know hey it's good friday yeah well uh the tower i think the tower falls on good friday on march 25th okay i, I think so but, but I'm not, there's so much that you could 
I'm yeah. sure there's even so much more there with dates <laughs> that you there, could go into, but it's just a lot of those things are just right. Um, just really pretty stunning. So and you know, great moments. That that scene <laughs> is on. It's in the land of shadow in the Return of the King, and it says, um, "There, peeping among the cloud rack above." A dark tour high up in the mountains, Sam saw a white star twinkle for a mm. while. The beauty of it smote his heart as he looked up out of the forsaken land and hope returned to him. For like a shaft clear and cold, the thought pierced him that in the end the shadow was only a small and passing thing. There was light and high beauty forever beyond its reach. His song in the tower had been defiance rather than hope. For then he was thinking of himself. Now for a moment... His own fate and even his master ceased to trouble him. He crawled back into the brambles and laid himself by Frodo's side. And putting away all fear, he cast himself into a deep, untroubled sleep. Hmm. You know, and that's just, you know, yeah, there's there's bad times now. But in the words of a great preacher, Sunday's coming. That's true. You know, so uh, love that. So now, and this might require a little bit of explanation, but does... Does Tolkien's arrangement of story work for this one? So you have what I what I mean by that is, well, first of all, um, the this was supposed to be one big book, and you can buy it in that edition. Yeah, yeah. And that was Tolkien's original plan. However, paper costs so much during the time of his publication that they had to publish it, book one, book two. Book three, book four, book five, book six, yeah. and the appendices. So, so really, it's one ginormous story. But he also weaves in and out of the different characters' perspectives. So, you start with the hobbits after the introduction, the long introduction. Yeah. About the history of pipe weed, and you're like, what in the world? Um, and then. And then, you know, it follows them until the end of of the Fellowship of the Ring when the Fellowship splits. Yes. And then it follows it follows um the one group who goes after the hobbits that are kidnapped by the orcs. Yep. And then the two hobbits and Gollum. And so you 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 get that anyways, that's the layout of the so story. So you have you have a well so you do have six books but yeah. each each so the fellowship of the ring is book 1 book 2 yeah so is the two towers so is the return of the king yeah uh three, 3 and 4 and then 5 and 6 yeah now and each of those books um sm- each, each of those smaller books is almost like one long extended scene yeah yeah uh is is probably a good way to describe it and um so you so you read hundreds of pages, a couple hundred pages. Yeah, and you have no idea what's going on. Exactly, you're you're only focusing on one group of of characters and not and not another. Yeah. Now, I think it's okay to say that in contrast with the movies, they're cutting scenes back and forth right. pretty regularly between right. the multiple groups. Right. So that you can kind of see in real time. How things are yeah. happening in parallel, whereas you might have weeks or more at a time that pass, and you haven't heard from this other group, but then you're going to go back and see what their weeks have been right. like. Now, what's helpful at the end 
is um, is you have the list of dates. Yeah. So you could read through the whole story, or you could do it at any point. But you could go to the end of the third uh, of the Return of the King, and you could see the chronology of how everything overlaps. Yeah, I think that's pretty pretty interesting. Yeah. Um, but the question of does it work? Because some people, I've heard some people complain that it's messy. <laughs> you know, because especially in the in the beginning of the Two Towers, you're you're following, you know. You're you're going back and forth between all right. Here's here's Aragorn and Legolas yeah. and Gimli. Oh, but here's where the hobbits are, and then here's where they overlap. But where the hobbits go, you know. Yeah. And it's it, but it eventually you figure it all out. Right. But yeah, I think I think it works. I don't know if you. I don't know if from the reader's perspective, if you would say it's best. I th- again, I think every reader probably has different preferences and they say, well, I just would rather it play out in real time, yeah. you know, straightforward. And maybe in that sense, maybe you have shorter chapters and you, you're cutting scenes more often, just like you do in the films. But, you know, at the same time, it's not, it's not impossible to follow. Yeah. It's not so, I think, um, convoluted that you're that you're wondering in in some ways it's more clear-cut because you know you're dealing with a certain group of characters right and you're just gonna you're just gonna ride with them until Mm -hmm. until you until there's a very clear stopping point when you change back to the others yeah so um you know i don't know i guess I, i mean does it work yeah i think so but it you know I don't know that I would have written it that way, but I yeah. I certainly wouldn't. I mean, nobody else was meant to write this, so right. I, I, think, <laughs> I think it's almost like. I guess if you're talking about critiques, you know, I said it'd be hard to find some critiques. Well, if this is your critique, okay, I, I'll grant you, that that the flow of it is unusual. Yeah. But, um. I don't think it. I don't think it downgrades the story at all. No. I like I like the the way it's set up because okay. um, it ends on great cliffhangers. Yeah, that's true. You know, that's true. And the and the Fellowship of the Ring, you know, I guess it's Frodo trying to get away. Or, or you you you're not quite. Yeah, Frodo and Sam get away. You're like, oh man, and then in the two in the two towers. The end is the end of the of book four, which is halfway, mm-hmm. you know, the halfway point when you stop following Gandalf and Aragorn's side. Um, you know, he he's just, the Hobbits just held the pal the Palantir yeah. and and the the Black Riders after him. And you're yeah. like ah, and it's like nope. Yeah, you're gonna have to wait. Yeah, and then and then it ends and then so that was the that was actually the end of book three. Yeah. And yeah, book end, three, and then the end of book four, uh, they're in, they're in they're in the tower, right? And and Frodo gets kidnapped, and yep. Sam has to rescue him, and yep. you're like, "Well, it's over now." <laughs> yeah, the Oars have the ring. Even I, I remember when I watched it for the first time, uh-huh. I was like, "Okay, they've got the ring, and they've stripped him down. What? Yeah, how are they going to get out of this? Yeah. You know, even and this is what I love." about the way that the books are written 
even though I know the story from the, even though I knew the story from the movies, the book still had me guessing when I was reading them. Yeah. And that I think shows great writing. Mm-hmm. It is, you know, I think I think it, everyone probably does this with their favorite movies. Is it's got to change? It's got to be different this time. It's got to no. Yeah. yeah. But um, well, and um, the other thing maybe worth mentioning, just as far as the arrangement is, there are there are some things that happen in the book version of the Two Towers that you don't see until the third movie. Yeah. Until the Return of the King movie. Yeah. Um, and there's some things that happen at the beginning of the Two Towers book that actually happen at the end of the Fellowship of the Ring movie. Yeah. The departure of Boromir. Yeah. And, so and that, I guess that, that goes with how they have to tell stories in movies. Yeah. You know, how you make I a think good so. standalone, standalone movie that's part of a series. Yeah. Well, and especially when you're with the films trying to tell the story more chronologically. Yeah. You have to show, again, the timing yeah. of the way things happen. Yeah. So it's it's different, but it fits. Yeah, for sure. E- either way. Now, now, in this, are, are you aware of how the story developed? Well, only from, only from conversations with you. Okay, so the question is is does does Tolkien's I guess I, I would call it retconning, you know, when they when when they have established a story and then the next story kind of changes events or circumstances from the other story. Um does 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 what Tolkien do with the ring make it cohesive with the Hobbit? Like does it does it feel like he meant to do this all the time, or can you sense that, yeah, he was kind of he was kind of mucking about and didn't know exactly where he was going because he didn't until he he figured out that the ring was actually tied into the necromancer. Okay, so this is where we get nerdy. If we haven't, we're not already there. If we're not already there. This is where we get nerdy. Right. So we got twenty minutes left to solve all this. Oh no, goodness. Um, so, so the the Hobbit was just supposed to be a standalone story, it's supposed to be a standalone story, but his pop publishers wanted more. So in the Hobbit, Bilbo finds this magic ring, mm-hmm. and all it's supposed to do is make him invisible. And so now, when he was trying to write the Lord of the Rings, he was trying to figure out. Well, he wanted to get the Silmarillion published, the stuff that was eventually in the Silmarillion. Okay. He wanted that to be published. But his publishers wanted more Hobbit stories, and it took him forever to figure out where to go with it until he said, ah, I can use Sauron, who's a, a character in the Silmarillion, in, in that age of... He's kind of like the leftover evil. Yeah. The commander. Um Anyways, the second in command of the evil. Anyways. And so so he ties the ring to Sauron and and makes the, the original, the first edition of Hobbit story, um, Bilbo's take. Yes. So that's why that's why you have this kind of dual well, that's not the story Bilbo said because in the original Hobbit, it, it, it Gollum was just a little bit nicer. Hmm. And so anyway, so he has to make this work. So the question is, does it work? 
does it feel genuine or does it feel crazy? Does it feel like he's just making stuff? Comic books do it all the time and you just get used to it. Yeah. But novels don't always do it. Yeah. You know, I think, I mean, I think it works. Of course, again, this is, this is my limited awareness, I guess, of that backstory, but it's, um, you know, if you're just reading it straightforwardly, okay, if you don't know how it all was scripted and arranged and yeah. the development of all of it, and you're just reading it for what it is, yeah. for its final version, um, absolutely, I think it works. Yeah. You know, uh, I think, um, I, th- I think that, you know, any, any story is going to, um, be edited along the way as you're, yeah. as you're writing it, you know, but I think, I think you have to judge it on what its finished product is. Yeah. And I think if you're just judging it on the finished product, um, yeah, no question. Yeah. Does it all tie together in a, in a pretty remarkable way? I, th- I think it, I think it definitely works as long as you're not being super picky. Hmm. Um, you know, we read Harry Potter. Harry Potter feels genuine on a first read. Like, yeah. this was planned all along. Yes. Yeah, I agree. Um, and I guess this does too, but again, if you're being really picky, he could probably probably get there. Well, and I'm sure you could, I mean, and I've never had this discussion, so I wouldn't even want to start it now, but okay, could you uncover plot holes in The Lord of the Rings? Probably. Probably. I would say Probably. But, um, uh, you know, again, you're, you're, I think like you said, you're probably nitpicking if you do. Yeah, right? absolutely. Just the same way, like, I think we both, when we were reading Harry Potter, we, we said the same thing. Okay, could, could you uncover plot holes? Sure you could. Yeah. But with Harry Potter, there's not this elaborate, to my knowledge, there's not this elaborate back, backdrop history Right. The way that there is with Tolkien. Right. So like you're like you're saying There's a few things here and there like like yeah. Well, so there's there's not a there's not a whole anthology of it the way there right. is with Tolkien. Right. You know, maybe JK Rowling one day is going to going to yeah. give us that. I don't know. Right. But but it's not there now. Right. Uh if, if there ever comes that, you would have to say that that she was writing um She's writing the anthology for the story, yeah. whereas Tolkien's writing the story, like you said, for the anthology. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, anyways, that's just that's some some critiques that I guess some people have yeah. have of it. Now, here's here's where we'll probably spend the rest of our time. Is this a Christian story? And if it is, <coughs> in what ways is it Christian? And what would be the difference between like this and a book like Pilgrim's Progress? Along with that, can you see the gospel in this story? And by gospel, you know, um, we're thinking about like creation, fall, redemption, kingdom. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think you can see the gospel in it on a macro scale. Yeah. Probably not on a micro scale. Right. In other words, I don't see any one individual character being what we would think of as redeemed or converted. Mm-hmm. 
I guess you could say you see certain characters being discipled yeah. along the way, but I don't know that you see someone turning from darkness to light. Right. Gollum almost gets there. Yeah, he does. But then Sam messes it up. <laughs> so he's the anti-evangelist. Well, you know. Something like that. He's, he's one of the... I won't go there. Yeah. <laughs> um, but on, on the larger themes of... Do you see creation and fall? Yeah, I think so. Do you see um do you see the fall being overcome? Yes. You you certainly have eschatological hope. Yes. No question. Yeah, when you and, read about Aragorn's reign, it it sounds like Old Testament minor prophets yeah, speaking. Yeah. Uh and you so you have that you have, um, okay, so one of the related questions to this, I guess, is do you see a Christ figure? Yeah. And I go back and forth because um, I I kind of would say yes. I think Aragorn, in especially when he's in the Houses of Healing, yeah. is just, <laughs> I mean, he's he is restoring... And uh, and speaking life here and there, and of course the way that we've already talked about the way that he ascends to the throne, he takes his reign, he does it all in humility. Yeah. But also, if you want to, uh, I've always wondered from this angle, is is there some sense in which Gandalf, especially because of his death and resurrection, mm-hmm. is like a Christ figure, and 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 the description I read about his reappearing. Yeah. That I think is is pretty messianic. So in that sense, are they both redeemers? Are they both saviors? If so, I think you'd you'd have to say, well, there's not really one main Christ figure. Yeah. Um they they both are they both have elements of Christ likeness, I think. Right. Um, so I think there are hints of the gospel in there. Yeah. I don't, I wouldn't go so far as to label it a Christian story, Uh but I would label it a, a, an excellent story with pretty obvious biblical themes. Yeah. And, and I, from, from what I've read historically and biographically, I think Tolkien was a believer. Yeah. And so there, so it's, it shouldn't be surprising that those themes are in there, right? Uh, and and I think I think he is. I mean, the reference to Good Friday. I think it, I, there's no question that's intentional. Yeah. So is he is he weaving some of those things in? Probably for sure. Yeah. Uh, and I, and again, I think he does it excellently. And, um, you know, we've you and I in personal discussions, I think, are in agreement. It's not allegorical. Right. So so in that sense, it's not like Pilgrim's Progress. Pilgrim's right. Progress is intentionally allegorical. Right. And if it was allegorical, then you would have a definite Christ figure. A one-to-one relationship right. of he stands for him and this right. stands for that. Yeah, you don't, I don't think you have that. In Pilgrim's Progress, you do. Right. Uh, every, every character is a representation of, of, a, of a biblical person or theme. Mm-hmm. In this, it's it's more veiled. I think I think some of that is there, but it's more veiled. Right. Um, so it's not explicitly Christian. Right. And I think you can see the um, 
I think the way that I've heard Matt Chandler describe it is I think from I think in the Lord of the Rings you probably could see the gospel in the air. You kind of yeah. get a thirty thousand foot view of it. Yeah. You you're not you don't see it as much again on the personal level. I don't right. I don't you don't see personal redemption, right? Personal conversion, I don't think. But you see it on a macro level. Right. And it's it even even if you were to bring in like the Chronicles of Narnia, mm-hmm. um, you know, that was written with the expressed intent to and I think these are C.S. Lewis's words to pre-evangelize hmm. so that when people do meet Jesus, you know, when kids meet him in the in the Bible and in Sunday school, they say, oh, this is a lot like Aslan, whereas you don't quite get that in the Lord of the Rings. Like Jesus isn't necessarily here, although if you dig back into the Silmarillion, he's got his own names for Jesus and God the Father I'm not sure about the Holy Spirit, um, but he's there, but it, it just kind of works yeah. differently. And even the clear, as you mentioned before, the clear distinction between good and evil, yeah. light and darkness, yeah. the temptations of the ring, yeah, all of those are so um, true of, of what the Christian life is. Right that I think experientially you can read it as a believer and 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 that's part of what makes it very relatable. Absolutely. Espe- you know, I th- I mean, you can be a non-Christian, you can relate and you can appreciate but but as a believer I think there's probably more of a depth and a and a genuine Oh man, I can I I know what that temptation of the ring is like yeah. because I feel that yeah with with other things. You know, yeah. I feel drawn to power. I feel drawn to um, you know, to evil. So absolutely, and I and I think, and I, this is this is getting into the Gollum's, you know, Gollum character. Like we're all Gollum, right? Yeah. You know, like the the more we sin, the more we feel drawn to that and corruption. Yeah. And it's it's a good picture. I think the Lord of the Rings helps us um, understand aspects of. Christianity better, aspects of theology better. Yeah. Um, going back to uh, Gollum and his part, uh, Frodo says, but do you remember Gandalf's words, even Gollum may have something yet to do. Uh, but for him, Sam, I could not have destroyed the ring. The quest would have been in vain, even at the bitter end. So let us forgive him, for the quest is achieved, and now all is over. I'm glad you're here with me. Here at the end of all things, Sam, I think this this shows an element of like God's sovereignty. Like mm. it's a it's a it it puts words to that aspect that I might not, you know, it, it's outside of it, but it helps me understand it better. Right. You know, we use stories and illustrations, mm-hmm. in in sermons and in our teachings, mm-hmm. and I think even if he didn't mean it. You know, Tolkien is, is, I think you can draw from this that there's a power above who is in control. And Gandalf knows this. Yeah. Um, but it, it, it goes back to, you know, what people mean for evil, God turns for good. Hmm. And, and that's this whole theme throughout this whole series of books, or the one book, you know, yeah. is how... People even even and this is why I love the Silmarillion. If you if you even if you just read the um, 
the music of the Aner, that's like the creation story. Um, the devil character, Melkor, tries to re weave in like discords, but Eru, the, the name that, that Tolkien gives to God, uh, uses that to create more complex themes. And it all creates this beautiful piece of music, even with the discordant pieces in there. And it, it, you know, evil is something that we deal with these days and we can't always make sense of it. But, you know, I think this story helps, at least helps me understand that God's sovereign over evil and can still use it to serve his purposes. Mm -hmm. Even if we don't see it or know how it's going to work out. Um, and and I, I think that's... Um, I think that I think this is a book that helps strengthen my my faith even if it even if that wasn't the sole intent. Yeah. It it gives word it gives special words to to certain aspects of the Christian life, to theology, um all those different things and puts it in a narrative that that's digestible but you can understand it and anyways. Well, and there's so many scripture passages too that are written um poetically. Yeah. You know, there's these there's these comparisons, there's these similes. Yeah. Uh that and and Tolkien is really good with that too. Yeah. You know, this is you know, this is like and then, you know, describing you know, you see those phrases all throughout the prophets in the Bible. Yeah. And then you see you see Tolkien use it too, and and you're reading it, and you and you can appreciate, I think, the uh, the comparisons that are being made. And then I wanted to point out too your reference to sovereignty. You know, you have the classic line in the first book, and uh, you know I'm looking for it and not finding it. I think it's in the Journey in the Dark chapter, mm -hmm. where, um, you know. Gandalf says uh there are there are things that are not for us to decide all we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given to us. Oh yeah, that is um I believe in the movie it would be in that in that scene. Okay, it's in a different scene a different chapter in the uh I believe it's either in the shadow of the past. Okay. Or yeah, I, b I believe I believe okay. it was that. Well, the exact quote, I mean, I think I gave it gave the gist of it. You know, yeah. it's uh, um, those things are not for us to decide. All that is to, for us to decide is uh, what to do with the time given to us. Yeah, and again, I think that speaks to like you said. I think it speaks to both the sovereignty and responsibility, God, sovereign, yeah. divine sovereignty and human responsibility. Mm -hmm. There are certain things that are out of our control. Yes. We are not sovereign. We don't get to decide everything. No. Nope. But we are responsible for the choices we make and for how we use our time. And and if we and we better use that time submitting to the to the greater plan of the things we can't control. Absolutely. It might have even been No, no, it was <coughs> anyway. Excuse me. I'm not exactly sure where it's at. No problem. There's a there. I'm sure there's so many things we could continue to talk about. Yeah. Um, but I don't think we've got time. I'm afraid uh, not. Unless we wanted to 
Well, we've kind of talked about the the movies. Yeah. And and how they those in the in the books and well the you know. the the only I guess the one thing I would add to that is I'll I'll always appreciate the movies. I'll yeah. always love the movies. I just don't know how you could improve on them. I, you know, again, if you just really wanted to nitpick, you could you could make comparisons where where the book is where where I, certainly it's adapted right and altered from the book. Right. But I think I'll just always and probably a lot of it has to do with the fact that I re- that I saw the movies first. Right. You know, maybe if I had been diehard on the books and then seen the movies, I might be a little more critical. But yeah, I fell in love with the movies before I fell in love with the books, and so in that sense, I think the movies will always be just on a pedestal right and uh so in that sense i don't i don't pit them really against one another yeah um and it would it would even be hard for me to rank well which do you know which do you like better the books or the movies i i think i can appreciate both for what they are yeah i think i can appreciate the movies for the depiction of the story Mm -hmm. um I even think there's certain parts of the movie where the emotion is maybe clearer than it is in the book. Yeah. So, uh, which is which is saying something. Right. So, yeah, to me, it's not they're not they're not against. It's not one against the other. It's right. to me, I think they're both. They both are excellent. Yeah, I, I do think, and it, this is this is me going back to the Aragorn thing. I think the they depict Aragorn a lot differently in the movies. Yeah. To where he's kind of this reluctant, passive. Yeah. I don't know if I can do that. Yeah. You know, and, and I think that speaks to, speaks to, um, you know, how how man has has come. Yeah. Uh, these days, but also, you know, and this is kind of a big thing: the scouring of the Shire. Yeah. Is not in the movies, and even in theatric release, you don't know what happens to Saruman. You have to see it. Yeah. In the extended version, but that's true. You know, I do think one of the points of the story was, had the hobbits not gone on this big journey, they would not have been able to confront the evil that they confronted to the Shire. So hmm. that's just, you know, and it, and if you summarize it, then it's these hobbits go all the way around the world to stop a pot smoking wizard from burning <laughs> down their houses. Um, but. Anyways, that's, uh, I think it's, I think, and that's why we don't oversimplify it. That's why we don't oversimplify it. Um, he doesn't, no, he, he smokes, what is it? Pipe Pipe weed. weed. Which I don't know. I don't know. Finest weed in the South Farthing. Something like that. But, uh, but anyways, so yeah, we don't simplify it, but when you do, it's funny. Yeah. But I do think, I do think on the whole, the story is about growth and the journeys we take and the friends we make and all of those wonderful kinds of things you encounter. Yeah. And how even quest. and how even seemingly small decisions affect the bigger picture of things. Absolutely. Yep. And it gave us a lot of good Led Zeppelin songs. <laughs> so, that's for another podcast. That's right. And it'll have and it'll have to be with another another guest because I'm not fit for those discussions but it's time to ramble on I guess well I hope this has been uh as fun for for you uh to listen to as it has been for us to discuss like I said we've kind of got a series of some some other things we've read over the past year or so that we want to get into and so some of our future episodes will be uh 
along those lines. And uh, so I'm excited to uh, have those discussions and share those talks with you. So thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Solar Gradia podcast, and we will see you next time. Bye-bye.